week nine, the thing that guides you. Well, last week we saw that after 40 years of peace, Israel falls into oppression again, right? You ever get tired of falling into the, the cycle of oppression? The cycle of, really, I'm going through this again? I just had this season of increase, 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 and all of a sudden it's, ugh. Well, they're, they've fallen out of the grace of God, falling into oppression, and, and after God, God has raised up a judge named Gideon, which we found over the past three weeks, and he positioned the people back in their rightful place. Forty years of peace and prosperity, stewarding that all had given, uh, that, that all that God had given. And last week we ended Judges chapter 8 with these three verses, and I want to read this again because I want to make sure we're understanding the context of Judges chapter 9. As soon as Gideon died, the Israelites prostituted themselves by worshiping the images of Baal, making Baal Barath their God. They forgot the Lord their God, who had rescued them from all their enemies surrounding them, nor did they show any loyalty to the family of Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, despite all the good he had done for Israel. They got so caught up in money and success that they fell into another worship of a false god. They got so comfortable in the increase that they started to give praise to something other than the one who gave them the increase. Baal Bareth, meaning God of the covenant, they started falling into the worship of a false covenant. And I think there's many times if we would take an honest evaluation of our lives, maybe not you, but some other people that you might be connected to because I know we're all perfect. But sometimes we get caught up in putting more faith in false covenants than the covenant of God. You put more faith in the covenant called your job than the covenant that God will provide your every need. You put more faith into the covenant of a relationship more than the covenant of put everything under me so I can flow into your relationships. We have all these false covenants and we find ourselves sometimes worshiping the covenant rather than worshiping the God who says, if you would put everything under my covenant, I will bring you peace and prosperity into all the things that you're in, right? And these people, they've forgotten what God had done. They forgot who God was. They forgot that God is the one who brought the people of Israel into 40 years of peace and prosperity through a judge named Gideon. And something else we saw last week, at the very end of the three chapters talking about Gideon, this new judge, Gideon messes up. He gets, you know, the 40-some-odd pounds of gold earrings. That's a lot of earrings. And then he takes the jewels, one from killing all the, the Midianites, and he makes, this, he makes this monument, this memorial, this statue for people getting too caught up in statues. We fight more on Facebook about memorials getting torn down in Savannah than churches. get loose they put all this stuff in this ephod which is the cloak of the priest and they start falling into worship of the memorial worship of the monument and before you know it people are falling back into Baal worship before Gideon even has a chance to pass and with this worship Gideon got caught up in his prosperity and before you know it it said Gideon had 70 sons 
man be working. That's a, that's a lot of baby making. And in the Old Testament, they didn't even count the daughters. So I can't imagine how many kids Gideon actually had. Seventy sons, many wives. And there was one son in particular that the, the, the scripture pointed out last week, and his name was Abimelech. Abimelech wasn't like the other 69 sons. He was the son of a woman from Shechem. I said last night I was about to call this message Shacken and Shechem. <laughs> he was with this woman from Shechem. That's pretty bad when you, they don't even, Gideon ain't even proud enough to let us know who her name was, right? I slept with this woman in Shechem and we had a kid, right? We don't even know her name. We just know she was from Shechem. Talk about embarrassed, right? Well, Gideon is Shacken and Shechem. <laughs> has this kid and names him Abimelech. Everyone sh shout Abimelech. Abimelech. Names him Abimelech, meaning my father, a king. Meaning that Gideon had intention for this particular son to become the next leader of Israel. But in that culture, for what they've known with the king, usually in kingdoms, the firstborn son becomes the king. So we have a little bit of a problem with Abimelech. Because Abimelech gets caught up in his name, my father the king. And Abimelech is thinking, well, obviously, I'm the one that needs to be the next king. Now, I've told you throughout this period between when Joshua dies, um, 400 years later, God establishes the first king of Israel, which is King Saul. But in this chapter, they install Abimelech as the king. There's two issues with that. God was not ready to establish a system for succession in Israel with a king. He wanted the people to depend on him and not on a man. That's kind of like where the church has gotten. We depend on the man. We depend on the preacher. We depend on the holy one. And then when the holy one falls, we lose faith in the true holy one. Because we're putting more faith in a leader than the one who leads the leader. And at this point in Judges, God's like, I'm not ready to put up a king yet. But they're all obsessed with, oh, we in 40 years of peace. Now we worship in our own gods. We got money. We on top. Let's get a king. And of course, Abimelech, being prideful and all about his name, I'm Abimelech. I'm the father of the king. I, I, I want to be the king we find that Abimelech tries to take it. So in Judges chapter 9, I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. One day, Gideon's son Abimelech went to Shechem to visit his uncles. That was his mother's brothers. <clears throat> he said to them and to the rest of his mother's family, ask the leading citizens of Shechem whether they want to be ruled by all 70 of Gideon's sons or by one man. We won't even call them his brothers. Y'all want my daddy's kids to all of them to rule this place? Or y'all want just one. And he says, remember, I'm your own flesh and blood. He said, all these other churn, they from everywhere else. I'm the only one that was conceived in Shechem. I'm your race. I'm your culture. I get you. Verse 3. So Abimelech's uncles 
gave his message to all the citizens of Shechem on his behalf. Abimelech started the campaign. He said, I'm like y'all. I know what y'all want. I grew up in y'all town. I'm the same political party as you. And they started throwing away what God wanted. And they started to run into we want the same thing we've been used to. But the thing they were used to was the thing that got them into the 40 years of oppression. And I, can, I get sick and tired of seeing some of the pastors in Savannah. They've given more allegiance to a party than the standards of God. And we've got Democratic pastors that should be voting for Trump, and I will be bold enough to say it, not because of Republican, but because of pro-life and pro-God. And I, I will say it like this. I also pray that in four years, if, if there's another race in the presidency where we have, for some reason, a godly Democrat and an ungodly Republican, we'll shift as well. Because we're not going to give allegiance to a party or the culture. We're going to give allegiance to glorifying my God. Well, these people were all about the giving allegiance to the party, giving allegiance to the culture. They said, yeah, we like that Abimelech. We want you. You know us. You know what we're all about. We want to get into what we've always been about. After listening to the proposal, the people of Shechem decided in favor of Abimelech. Not because he was a good leader, not because he was a proven leader, but all because he was a relative. Of course the people of Shechem, yeah, we want our own flesh and blood. Well, Abimelech was using his flesh and his heritage to manipulate the people to get the power. And it reminds me of a passage in Romans chapter 8, verses 6 through 9. For the mindset of the flesh is death. But the mindset controlled by the spirit finds life and peace. In fact, the mindset focused on the flesh fights God's plan and refuses to submit to his direction because it cannot. Your flesh cannot submit to the direction of God. It can't. That is why your flesh always wants the wrong thing. God does not say be transformed by the renewing of your flesh. He says be transformed by the renewing of your mind because the only way for your flesh to follow me is to get in alignment with your mind which is in line with your spirit. If you focus on your flesh, if you focus on getting everything right in the natural, you're always going to get it wrong. Let me transform your mind to get in line with things in, with the supernatural so that the super overwhelms your natural. Amen. You ever heard of the term stronghold? It's a strong hold on you. It is such a strong hold on your flesh that the only way to break the strength of the hold is to get your mind aligned because your flesh will always fail in the hold. Y'all quiet. Y'all just taking this in? <clears throat> Watch. No matter how hard they try, God finds no pleasure with those who are controlled by the flesh. No pleasure. That's an eye-opener for some of us. Because you know as well as I do, we all got areas that our flesh 
It's still, con it's still controlling. <clears throat> but when the Spirit of Christ empowers your life, you are not dominated by the flesh, but by the Spirit. And if you are not joined to the Spirit of the Anointed One, you are not of Him. If you are of Christ, <clears throat> then you're joined to the Spirit <clears throat> of the Anointed One. And because you're joined to that Spirit, when you transform how you operate to becoming in line with the Spirit, your flesh will always have to line up. And in a moment where you find that your flesh is given to things, it's not the mindset of, oh, well, I guess that's just the thorn in my side like Paul. I, I think Christians use that as an excuse a lot. But we all have thorns in our side, and that's just my thorn. The thorn in Paul's side was a demonic influence. It wasn't his flesh. Just because it's your flesh, that don't mean it's demon controlled. Your flesh is screwed up enough. It don't need a demon to influence it. That's why demons only mess with your mind. Your flesh will never be controlled by the spirit, so demons are not going to waste their time on your flesh. You can be attracted to things in your flesh and have no issue with saying no. But when that thing gets in your mind, it tries to come into agreement with the flesh, and then you walk into the, the fall. Demons are smart. They ain't stupid. They just ignorant of the light. Okay? So many of us try to make decisions of our flesh, and so many people try to make decisions out of our culture. Well, we are, we are Americans, and we make decisions based off of our American tradition. And I might be treading on some thin ice here, but I've learned to swim pretty good and skate on thin ice. We need to remember something about America. And I love America. I love the fact that we live in a country that is free. But let's just be honest. It's getting to a place where those freedoms are getting buried. You want to know why? It's not just because of the current culture. We are a country that was born out of rebellion. no matter how you want to put it. And we want to say that it was founded on Yahweh. But if you really look at the founders of America, they founded the country on the right to worship whatever God you believed in. And we love that to a degree because we can worship our God, but they can worship their gods. But now because it's so free to worship whatever altar of God you want, now we have candidates coming in saying, let's preach Islam and take out Christianity. That's the America we live in. God does not want to restore America. He wants to redeem it. Because if we restore it, it restores back to the place that was born out of called rebellion and He loves America, but it does not say, for God so loved America. It says God so loved the world. God loves the earth and everything in it. But we have this pride of we're better than the rest, and that pride has gotten us to a place where the scripture says, pride exalts itself before the fall. Why do you think we're starting to fall? American Pride. 
Our pride should be in the kingdom, not of this world, to affect everything we walk into, but it's become reversed. I, I, I speak a couple weeks about some religious stuff and, and Halloween and Christmas, and all the people that talk behind my back, I hear those conversations. I don't think anyone in this room, but if you listen to the podcast, I heard. <laughs> and they talk about, well, Kyle's getting religious. Kyle's getting legalistic. No, I'm trying to break you out of your bondage of what you've accepted is true. It may take a while because it's taking a while for me. And I'm not, I'm not cursing people who went trick-or-treating. We talked about it at men's group. You can go trick-or-treat and skip the houses that are giving glory to demons and go to the houses that just want to give some candy to kids. You can get candy anywhere. But at some point, we've got to say we accept this and we reject that. And if you're going to walk into a pagan holiday and redeem it, well, walk back into the godly holidays and redeem those for the ones that the church has forgotten. They are all about their own culture, and they've forgotten everything that God wanted. In fact, in a little bit, we're going to find that they're having the feast of the unleavened bread in a temple other than God. It's kind of like giving God praise for his birth in a pagan temple called Christmas. Okay, that was too much. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Which we're going to decorate for Christmas. We might not have Santa Claus, but well, we won't, or elves, or any of that magical sorcery stuff. But <laughs> Yo, Give me a break, y'all. God wants to redeem it. God wants to redeem the things where we've been focused so much on our flesh. And the way he redeems it, he says, I've sent a spirit to live in you so that we can have the mind of Christ and stop making decisions out of your flesh. Well, they've been making decisions out of their flesh, and because it was a decision of the flesh, the way they wanted to execute the decision of getting Abimelech as king, it was also of the what? The flesh. Because remember, these people were not worshiping God. They were worshiping who? Baal. So they got caught up in worshiping Baal, who was a god of the false covenant, not a true god. And now they're like, let's get Abimelech in because he's our kind, he's our culture, he's our ethnicity, he's our old way. And look at how they get him in. Verse 4. They give him 70 silver coins from the temple of who? Not Yahweh. Baal, they funding the campaign out of the wrong temple, which he used to hire some reckless troublemakers who agreed to follow him. Isn't it amazing how every week of judges is right on with the climate of our nation? <laughs> Verse 5, he went to his father's home at Oprah, and there on one stone, they killed all 70 of his half-brothers, the sons of Gideon. The people funded an execution of all of Gideon's kids. But the youngest brother, Jotham, he escaped and he hid. Well, then all the leading citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo called a meeting under the oak beside the pillar at Shechem and made Abimelech their king. Abimelech received payment from the temple of a false god to carry out an unspeakable act. And I wonder how many assignments in your life are carried out of a place where God is not your centered focus and God is not the way you weighed the decision. 
I would go so far as to say that any work begun in any other name other than Yahweh is not likely to end in glory or your well-being. And sometimes the name of the temple is Baal, but sometimes the name of the temple is your flesh. You fund what you want out of what you think you need, and you never put it before the temple, which is supposed to be you, that is in line with Yahweh God. And I know I've been saying Yahweh a lot, because I want to make sure when I, I, I don't, I don't want to give a broad spectrum of God. There's only one. It's not just God. It's Yahweh. It's the Father. It's the Creator. It's the one that, the, that we recognize as the only God, that all other gods have to bow to and answer to. Right? So if you hear that rhetoric, that's why. I'm tired of being generic about it. I would go so far as to say that we make too many decisions out of what we want and never put it before Yahweh and we're funding visions out of our flesh. We make decisions out of what works for us, out of how we grew up. That's the biggest stronghold of the South. This is how we grew up. This is what I've always known. Well, God says, let me redeem you from being born into your sinful natural and give you a new culture. I heard a preacher say once that when Jesus came, it was not a religious thing. It was a political thing. You want to know why? Because Jesus didn't come to institute a new religion. He says, I'm a king coming from a kingdom of heaven who is coming into earth and taking over all of your natural government. And my campaign looks different than yours. Love your brother. Bless those who persecute you. When you get hit by one, on one cheek, turn the other. Give and you'll increase. Decrease, you'll increase. He's got a whole new system of government. And for us, we don't like that system because this is how I grew up. This, this, this is how I grew up in America. I have the right to when God says surrender your rights. Right? God says I got a whole new way of doing things. And it's going to require sacrifice and dying to what you know is real and what you know is true and having faith in an unseen thing called the kingdom of God. The South, the North, America in general, if you just look out for you, you'll be okay. God says, well, consume yourself with blessing others and I'll take care of you. It's all, it's all different. And it's hard for us to get out of that. That's what these people were doing. They're funding a vision that's totally not of God because one man said, I want to be the leader and the way we got to do it is not seek God, but let me kill everyone else. Let me kill my brothers. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. Be saturated in prayer throughout each day, offering your faithful requests before who? God, with overflowing gratitude. Tell him every detail of your life, and then God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding will make the answers known to you through Jesus Christ. Every detail should be postured before God in every decision. Every decision. Not some of them. Not the church ones, not should I give, not should I serve. Every decision. How you living at home, 
how you're raising your kids, how you're stewarding your relationship, how you're stewarding and managing your job, how you're submitting to the boss that you don't like, how you're submitting to the coworkers that you want to kill with a, with a knife in their back. <laughs> How, how, how you, what you really want to say to those people who you know talking about you. Hashtag me. Don't begin new things birthed out of a wrong influence. Everything before God. I want to read verse 6 again, but I want to read it in the New King James Version. All the men of Shechem gathered together, all of Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king Beside the terebinth tree. Everyone say terebinth tree. Beside the terebinth tree at the pillar that was in Shechem. The people approved this godly act to position an ungodly ruler because they were not, no, they were no longer in worship of God. They've shifted to self-serving worship. They've shifted to the worship of a false covenant. And they made him king under the terebinth tree. What's significant about this tree and the reason why I wanted to read this version is because it's the same tree that Joshua placed a copy on the tree of the law of God. In, others, what, in other words, what they were doing, they made a decision in the face of the law of God knowing it was not in line with the thing posted on the tree. And there are so many times where we get so obsessed with how does this work for me that in the face of the law of God, when God says have no other gods before me, we make a decision under the worship of another God and you don't even realize you're worshiping another God. You make a decision to not tithe because you need to save in the face of law. You make a decision to enter into a relationship not of God, but in the face of the law. They saw the law in plain sight, but they refused to consider it. Which is exactly what happens when we govern with our flesh. We see the law, but we throw it away for selfish motive. Law does not save you. I've, just, I've, I've, I've preached that. The law does not save you. What saves you? Jesus. But that does not mean the law is not good. And I'm getting sick and tired of hearing, it's just great. It's not about the law. The law don't matter. The law is, it, it, it's everything. That's, and we're going to find out later. That's why Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. What Jesus did, he did not abolish the law. He abolished the curse of the law. What's the curse of the law? If you don't follow the law to a T, you're destined for hell. So Jesus says, let me abolish the curse so that you will be, take, that this weight is taken off of you where you may not get it right, but you're still allowed entrance into the presence of the Father. And if you would focus on a relationship with my father, your life will flow out of that relationship and your life will look like something called the law. Why have we made the law such a bad thing? Because in our culture and tradition, we try to pay our way into grace. Let me do the right thing so that God will bless me. No, 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 no. God says... Be obsessed with my love so that blessings pour out of the flow of relationship and the law becomes your natural. 
They're looking at the law and they just have complete disregard for it. And they made Abimelech a king. You shall have no other gods before me. And all they can focus on is Baal, Baal's money. Thou shalt not commit murder, kill 70. Y'all see what's happening? All these decisions. Galatians 5.16 says, I say let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Well, how do you know what's your sinful nature? It does not align with the what? The law. The law is not a bad thing. It's a way for us to discern what's of God and what's not. He says, but don't follow the law. Follow the what? The Holy Spirit. And then you won't be doing what's against the, the law. Law's not bad. What's the law right now? Wear your seatbelt. What is it to do? To protect your life. What do you think the law is meant to do? To <laughs> and God says, follow the Holy Spirit, follow my relationship, and I'll lead you into following what I call the law. And because you're grace with it and they weren't, I had to show them the law. It's okay? They're making leadership decisions without God. They're making murderous decisions without God. They're giving worship to a false God. Abimelech murders his brothers, but one escaped. Named who? Jotham. And when Jotham heard that the people made Abimelech the king, he starts to speak a parable. See, y'all thought Jesus started with parables. Parables were in the Old Testament too. But you didn't know that. I didn't know that until I started studying Judges. Just being real. I'm growing too. So Jotham starts to tell a parable. Don't y'all love that I'm transparent? Yes. <laughs> I, I mean, there's some things I don't know. I mean, I don't know the whole flipping thing. That's a big scripture. Some of it's, I mean, I mean it's not a, isn't it funny though how like we can read novels like War and Peace, but this is too much? Just throwing that out there. The thing about War and Peace, though, is there's only one translation for War and Peace, and this thing is so alive that you can read one scripture 25 times to get something out of it. Right? Judges 9, verse 7. When Jotham heard about this, he climbed to the top of the Mount Gerizim and shouted, Listen to me, citizens of Shechem. Listen to me if you want God to listen to you. He gets on top of the same mountain that Moses set the law from in Deuteronomy chapter 11 and that Joseph spoke from. All about 150 years before what's going on with Abimelech. He's referring back to the law that God set forth. He's referencing, remember, remember the God that set our ways? That's what he was doing. He gets up on the mountain that God spoke from. He says, hey, y'all, all you Baal worshipers, y'all remember God? Y'all remember the law that came from here? Let me tell y'all something. Psalm 32 says, I will instruct you in the way you should go. Proverbs 16 says, man plans his way, but God establishes his steps. Proverbs 3 says, acknowledge God in all your ways, and he will make your path straight. Jotham is making a declaration right here where God made it himself. He's saying, let's remember the good king. Let's remember the God who spoke what we should do. Let's remember the one true God and how he does it. And then he starts talking about the parable. Verse 8, once upon a time, Disney didn't create that. Once upon a time, the trees decided to choose a king. Huh? 
See, y'all, you'll see why it's a parable? He's talking in a nursery rhyme. He's talking in an illustration. Once upon a time, the trees decided to choose a king. First, they said to the olive tree, be our, get, no, be our king. Y'all didn't get that. That's all right. Y'all too dry. But the olive tree refused, saying, well, should I quit producing the olive oil that blesses both God and people just to wave back and forth over the trees? And then they said to the fig tree, you be our king. But the fig tree also refused, saying, should I quit producing my sweet fruit just to wave back and forth over the trees? Then they said to the grapevine, will you be our king? But the grapevine also refused, saying, should I quit producing the wine that cheers both God and the people? Y'all know wine does what it's supposed to do when it's cheering people up. <laughs> Some of y'all need to, no, I ain't going to say that. Should I quit producing the wine that cheers both God and people just to wave back and forth over the trees? We've got th three worthy trees that can become king to lord over all the other trees, an olive tree, a fig tree, and a grapevine. And they all say the same thing. Why should we stop doing what we do best just to be the person who gets the glory over the other trees? A great leader is not someone who's obsessed with lording over people. It's someone who is obsessed with doing what they're called to do for the glory of all the trees. It's, it's kind of like Jesus. You know why he's such a good king? He said, I'll die for the other trees. When they said, when they tried to give him glory, he said, no, no, not, not the glory to me, but let me give it to my father. That's a good leader. That's a good king. Why should we walk out of our purpose that glorifies God just to puff ourselves up over everyone else's purpose? That's the problem with the Church of America. It's we have a tree waving back and forth over the other trees. Make me feel better on Sundays by clapping loud and shouting loud for me, not for God. You know, we come more affiliated with the name of a preacher than the name of Yahweh. Right? We get so obsessed with popular worship teams that local worship teams won't walk into their own sound. We become cover bands and call it the flow of the Spirit. <laughs> right? We started Relentless, and it wasn't God, what do you want for the church? It was, let's do it just like Elevation Church. Because obviously that pattern works, and guess what? It didn't work. Right. Amen. Amen, Jonathan. That's, that's what happens. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before God, and he will exalt you. Is the advance your driving factor, or do you position yourself for God's leading? Well, he's talking about all these other trees. Verse 14, the trees finally turned to the thorn bush and said, come, you be our king. And the thorn bush replied to the trees, well, if you truly want to make me your king, come and take shelter in my shade. If not, let the fire come out for me and devour the cedars of Lebanon. He says, yeah, I'll be your king. Come up under me. And if you don't want to come up under me, may fire destroy you. That sounds like a great leader, huh? You don't do it my way, die. You don't like it, get out. You don't like how I'm leading? I hope you die. 
You know what the funny thing is about a thorn bush? In its, in its creation, a thorn bush does not offer shade. Look, the thorn bush replied to the trees, take shelter in my shade. A thorn bush can't offer shade because it ain't a tree. It's a bush. Yet how many times do people seek shelters in places never meant to be a safe shelter? We get under the shelter of ungodly relationships. We get in the shelter of wrong decisions out of convenience. We get in the shelter of friendships that don't exalt God. And then we think we're doing something wrong when your friends leave you. Let me tell you something, and I'm going to say this very boldly. If you have the same friends and they still invite you to everything that does not exalt God, let me just explain something to you very simply. They don't see God when they look at you. Nothing about you is changing. When you start not getting invites to certain things, it's because they know that you will not agree with it. I was at the coffee shop this week. And the coffee shop is full of Christians. They all go to church. They all in worship teams. And let me just tell you, half the, maybe not this church, but when I start hearing about people in worship bands and churches, they're some of the most ungodly people in the world. And I've experienced it. I was one of them. And I started hearing this drummer talking about, yeah, I serve God. I serve on the worship team at blank church and blank church. And he said, last night it was so good. God loves us so much. He don't care if we drank a little too much last night. You know, he, and he, he's like, he's talking to the baristas about how he got drunk last night and how he's serving God on a worship team. Now, let me make something clear. I'm not trying to create, to, to create this abused thing of law. I'm trying to expose the dynamic of what the church has become. We make everything okay thinking that we should not be different. But if we are light and light exposes darkness, if you walk into a dark room and it doesn't change, you ain't light. It's impossible to shine a flashlight in a room and the room stay dark, yet you call yourself the light of the world? I love that song. When you walk into the room, everything changes, does it? I love that with me. Like, I, I love holidays with my family. It used not to be like this. But they all, you know, you, you know, like when you're outside the door and they, they, you hear like, and they all just celebrating and talking. I walk into the room. Hey, Kyle. <laughs> How you doing? How's your church doing? <laughs> yeah, y'all got a lot of people? Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And then I walk out the room. <laughs> y'all know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, then. <laughs> oh, that's why we have small crowds. So, <laughs> the thorn bush even says, I'm going to oppress you, I'm going to destroy you if, you if you disagree with me. 
Because weak people always try to push their way to the power with no hint of humility. They don't care about people prospering. Great leaders care about how do I operate when I'm supposed to operate so that others can operate in what they're called to operate in. So, it's, so church is not let's serve the pastor's need to create a good service. It's let's find out what your gifting is and see it come alive. And when you come alive in your giftings, we'll find where the lack is. And, when we, and I really believe this. this. This just dropped in my spirit. If we start getting consumed with what you need to be doing for what God wants, this seat will become full with the thing we don't have. And then we get obsessed with seeing that one come alive in Christ. And then when that one starts flowing and blowing like the trees, because we got the fig tree, but we need the olive tree, we need the grapevine, we need the oak tree, we need the orange tree, we need the apple tree, we need all the trees. I don't want a church of the same trees. You get sick of seeing the same tree, eating the same fruit. I love the fact that we got people who come in here all clean, and then we got the Prats. <laughs> who are tattooed up and changing their hair every other week, and I love it. I love it. And then you got this crowd. And then you got a Justin, who he's got better hair than half of the women in here. Do you see what I'm saying, though? Like, we're all so different, but there's so much unity in the different. Don't you love being a part of that? And it's not about let me get you to change to conform into the image that I think is right. It's let me invest in you to see you walk in the image that God created you to be. Right? Like, it, like it, it's not like, hey, Joe, can you start serving with tithing? He just walked in and said, I've served in what I'm supposed to do. Right? <laughs> Can't sing, but I can weld, right? And a lot of churches need to hear that for their worship teams. Because they try to fill up a stage with a bunch of people that are meant to weld. <laughs> I'm definitely posting this sermon today. <laughs> Proverbs 16, 18 through 19. Pride goes before destruction, haughtiness before a fall. Before a fall. Better to live humbly with the poor than to share plunder with the proud. Not how does it benefit me, is how do I benefit you? And just in case the people didn't get that, Jotham explained the parable. Look at 16. Jotham continued. Now make sure you've acted honorably and in good faith by making Abimelech your king. That you've done right by Gideon and all his descendants. Have you treated him with the honor he deserves for all he accomplished? For he fought for you, risked his life when he rescued you from the Midianites. But today you revolted against my father and his descendants, killing his 70 sons on one stone. And you've chosen his slave woman's son, Abimelech, to be your king just because he's your relative. Just because he's your party. Mm. See, I'm preaching truth and it's starting to rain. Let it rain. If you've acted honorably and in good faith toward Gideon and his descendants today, then you may find joy in Abimelech and may he find joy in you. But if you've not acted in good faith, then may fire come out from Abimelech. You see, Abimelech's thornbush. 
and devour the leading citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo, and may fire come out from the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. Let the thorn bush kill you, and let the people being killed by the thorn bush kill the thorn bush. And then Jotham escaped and lived in Beer, uh, Beer, Be Beer. Some of y'all know what it's like to escape and live in Beer. Okay. Jotham escaped and lived in Beer because he was afraid of his brother Abimelech. He, your, he's, your choice that served your flesh was unwise, and you're going to reap what you sowed in that decision, and fire will devour you. And they weren't going to see that immediately. They didn't receive what Jotham says, so Jotham had to get the heck out of Dodge. Because what was going to happen to him was going to happen, or what happened to his brothers was going to happen to him. Because you may not see the consequence immediately when you reap, when you sow into your flesh, but you will eventually reap of it. It's not a, it's not a if, it's a, it's a will. I think that's why God is so persistent about repent. Because if you don't repent and turn the other direction, the direction you're going to, you're going to see the reaping of what you sowed. So sow into something different, child of God. Galatians 3.13, Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing, for it's written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who hung on a tree. He's redeemed us from the curse of the law. But he did not abolish the law. Matthew 5, 17. Don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. I came to accomplish their purpose. What is their purpose? To prevent you from showing into the wrong thing that will reap corruption. I want you to live beautifully and fulfilled and prosper. So because you can't do that by yourself... Let me take care of the curse so that you can enter into a relationship that will produce a soul wanting to live by the law because it's no longer I have to, it's I want to. Well, they didn't walk the other way. They kept walking right into what they wanted to do. They ignored Jotham, and, look what, and then look what happens. 22, after Abimelech had ruled over Israel for three years, three years, not immediately, but three years they were walking into the wrong leadership. God sent a spirit that stirred up trouble between Abimelech and the leading citizens of Shechem, and they revolted. It's funny how September 11th, everyone's unified. But look how much we have shifted that in the United States of America, a spirit is among us that is so against each other. Because we're not exalting God anymore. So what are, you, what are you really surprised that this country is in such war with each other? The Bible says that there is no new thing under the sun. We're experiencing exactly what they're experiencing. We're exalting ourselves before God. We're exalting the government before God. We're exalting the American pride before God, the American way. And God's like, it's not about America. It's about the kingdom invading a land called America. 24, God was punishing Abimelech for murdering Gideon's 70 sons. Do you remember how we got this free land? 
taking away the inhabitants of the free land. We got jealous of Native American freedom, so we killed them to get it for ourselves. I mean, I'm reading it word for word out of Judges chapter 9. Do you not see it? Surrender American pride and start walking into the kingdom, being proud of God, and let him redeem what we have walked into. Because it can be done, but it's through us. It's not through a president. Let me give you a little piece. If the wrong president selected, number one, it's only four years out of eternity. Don't make God that small. <laughs> number two, we still the people of God. And according to my Bible, we rule. We are the kings of the earth. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I don't care if a law is passed saying you cannot worship. It might mean that the congregation goes from 120 to 5, but we going to worship. And we going to get locked up. And we going to do whatever it takes to say, my God is who I worship, not your crap laws. Mr. Wrong President, right? And then while we locked up, we're going to pray for the president that he would see. And we're going to preach from the jail. And, and what if the biggest pulpit comes from a jail televised on CNN? I'll take, I'll take that. Free rent. All right. But God, don't let that happen. Verse 25. The citizens of Shechem set up an ambush for Abimelech on the hilltops, and they robbed everyone who passed that way, but someone warned Abimelech about their plot. Look what happened. The people were starting to revolt against each other. They no longer wanted Abimelech to rule, and it wasn't just about the leader. It says that people started robbing people on the hilltops. What's significant about the hilltops? That was the trade route how Shechem got their money. So it wasn't just affecting the leader. When people started robbing the trade route, guess who stopped traveling? The traders. So it started to affect their economy. And then Abimelech had to start funding Shechem out of his own wallet. You think he was happy about that? So the, the, the economy started falling apart, taxes raising, and then... All this stuff started coming down. Verse 26. So one day, Gael, son of Ebed, moved to Shechem with his brothers and gained the confidence of the leading citizens of Shechem. Another campaign. During the annual harvest festival, the one that God set up at Shechem, but now held in the temple of the local god, Baal, <laughs> The wine flowed freely, meaning they had a little too much of the, of the wine, and everyone began cursing Abimelech. They got so drunk that they started cursing their leader who had the right to kill him. Who's Abimelech, Gail shouted. He's not, the, he's not a true son of Shechem. Why should we be his servants? Wait, wait, I, I thought he was the son of Shechem because his mama was, like Gideon was shacking at Shechem. His mama was the, the Shechem girl. But Gideon was not. He was, he was a half-breed of Shechem. And Gail pointed it out. 
he's merely the son of Gideon, and this Zabul is merely his deputy. Serve the true sons of Hamor, the founder of Shechem. Why should we serve Abimelech? If I were in charge here, you ever heard church people say that? Well, if I was a pastor, well, you not. If I was a leader, shut up. <laughs> I can't believe Pastor Cal said that. If I was a preacher, I wouldn't say that. Well, you're not a preacher. Do your thing. If I were in charge here, <laughs> but that, that's the job of the elders to challenge me. Okay, I'm, I'm just I'm kidding, but I'm not. If I were in charge here, I would get rid of Abimelech. I would say to him, get some soldiers and come out and fight. People lost confidence in the king that they appointed. Now they're looking at a new leader who wants to take out Abimelech. And it all happened while they were getting drunk and eating at a godly festival in the midst of a false temple giving worship to a false god. And then pride starts talking. I wonder, are your decisions made from the presence of Yahweh or the temples of the other gods that you have positioned above them? When you make a decision about every part of your life, is it the temple that is you or the temple of the Holy Spirit? Is it listening to your flesh and your, your emotions or the word of God, the law of God, the way of God? He got it all back for us, but for some time, for some reason, he's not the thing that guides us. We're guided by our appetite. We're guided by our opinions, our likes and dislikes. And God's like, I want to replace all that. I want to give you a new heart. I want to give you a new mind. Be obsessed with what I want, not what, not what you want. Stop looking everywhere else. Start looking with what's in you, the Holy Spirit. Verse 30, but when Zabiel, the leader of the city, heard what Gael was saying, he was furious. So he sent messengers to Abimelech in Aruma, telling him, Gael, son of Ebed, and his brothers have come to live in Shechem. And now they're inciting the city to rebel against you. Not the thing you want to hear as a leader. The people rebelling. Come by night with an army and hide out in the fields in the morning. As soon as it's daylight, attack the city. When Gael and those who are with him come out against you, you can do with them as you wish. So Abimelech and all his men went by night and split into four groups stationing themselves around Shechem. Gael was standing at the city gates when Abimelech and his army came out of hiding. Well, when Gael saw them, he said to Zabiel, look, there's people coming down from the hilltop. Zabiel said, no, nah, man, it's just shadows in the hill. That looked like men. Y'all see what Zabiel was doing? He was setting up Gael to get fought by Abimelech. Because Zabiel was, he had all of his, his eggs in the Abimelech basket. But Zabel said, no, man, it's just shadows. But again, Gail said, no, 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 people are definitely coming down from the hills. And another group is coming down the road past the diviner's oak. Well, then Zabel turned on him and asked, where's that big mouth of yours now? Didn't you just call out Abimelech? Wasn't it you that said, who is Abimelech and why should we be his servants? Well, the men you mocked are right side of the city. Go out and fight them. Put your money where your mouth is, Gail. So Gail, because he was led by pride, he didn't say, no, nah, I ain't going to fight that. He didn't humble himself. He said, he, this what Gail led the leading citizen Shechem into battle against Abimelech. But Abimelech chased him, 
and many of Shechem's men were wounded and fell along the road as they retreated to the city gate. Abimelech returned to Aruma. Zabel drove Gael and his brothers out of Shechem. Full of corruption, self-serving pleasures, backstabbing, deception, pride exalting. Not one of them consulted God. Gail was acting out of pride. He didn't decide to back down. He had the Tom Petty spirit going on. He, <laughs> if you don't get that, you will later. What is the thing that guides you? They were all fighting and quarreling. James 4, 1 through 3 says, what's causing the quarrels and the fights among you, America? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it from them. Oh, but America doesn't do that. The church doesn't do that. Right? The, ch the church would never try to take someone else's facilities that they built or hire a man to do the job, and then when you want to get a different thing, you fire the man and get a new man. Church would never do that, right? Where am I at? You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. You fight, you wage war, take it from them, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Is the thing that guides you what gives you pleasure, or is it what God wants for you? Well, the next day, verse 42, the people of Shechem went out into the fields to battle. I'm getting to the end. When Abimelech heard about it, he divided his men into three groups. The dude's copying the, the, the strategy of, of his daddy, Gideon. Well, who remember what strategy God gave Gideon? I got you 300 soldiers, get into three groups, and surround the men. How did Gideon get that strategy? God. How did Abimelech get the strategy? His daddy. But not Yahweh. And a lot of you make stupid decisions out of what your fleshly father said, not knowing if it's a good idea or a bad one. Now, I'm not trying to dishonor the fathers and mothers. Let me, let me hear me out right. But you need to put everything before God, even what your mama and your daddy told you. Because sometimes what your mama and your daddy know are out of a thing called culture and not out of a thing called scripture. Well, this is how my mama did it. Well, your mama did it wrong. Sorry to bust your bubble. Well, my daddy taught me to look out for number one. Well, that's why no one wants to look out for you. Right? He divided his men in three groups that an ambush in the fields. When Abimelech saw the people coming out of the city, he and his men jumped up from their hiding places and attacked them. Abimelech and his group stormed the city gate to keep the men of Shechem from getting back in, while Abimelech's other two groups cut them down the fields. The battle went on all day before Abimelech finally captured the city. He killed the people, leveled the city, and scattered salt all over the ground. He killed his own people. 46, when the leading citizens who lived in the tower of Shechem heard what happened, they ran and hid in the temple of their false god. I wonder what you retreat to. Do you go retreat to your safe place or the true safe place that is the presence of God? 
they went into their safe place, a false worship of a false god named Baal-bareth. Someone reported to Abimelech, the citizens have gathered at the temple. So he led forces to Mount Zalman. He took an axe and chopped some branches from a tree, put them on his shoulder. He says, quick, y'all do it too. So each of them cut some branches. They followed Abimelech's example. They piled the branches against the walls of the temple, set them on fire. So all the people who lived in the tower of Shechem died, about a thousand men and women. Let me remind you of what the parable said that Jotham read in verses 20 and 21. He said, fire is going to come out from Abimelech and devour the citizens. Not even their own secure tower could protect them from the consuming fire of reaping what they sowed. And there are so many people that look for protection and their own strong towers, the tower of their family, the tower of their job, the tower of their wealth, the tower of their relationships. But you know what Proverbs 18 says? Verse 10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Stop running to false towers of security. You will be consumed by the fire. I don't want to get consumed by a fire that's going to burn me up. I want to get consumed by a fire of God that's going to take care of everything I don't want, my thoughts and my opinions and my desires, and mold me into a new thing where I can be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I can be in the most fiery trials of my life, but instead of being depressed, I'm dancing. Instead of being in the push down, I'm celebrating. I want that fire to be the thing that guides me. Well, verse 50, then Abimelech attacked the, town, attacked the town of Thebes, captured it. But there was a strong tower inside the town. Now, Abimelech's probably thinking, well, I'm going to do it all over again. I'm going to set them on fire. They're getting in the tower. God, I don't need you. I've got the strategy. I've done this once, God. I'll do it again. Well, I've handled this once my way. I'm going to handle it my way again. You know you're guilty of that. There was a strong tower inside the town. All the men and women, the entire population fled to it. They barricaded themselves in. They climbed up on the roof of the tower. Abimelech followed them to attack the tower. But as he prepared to set fire to the entrance, a woman. A woman on the roof dropped a millstone that landed on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Women. Now, you would have thought that as Abimelech is dying of the crushed skull, he would have said, Father, forgive me. God, forgive me. I got it wrong. But no, look what he said. He quickly said to his young armor bearer, draw your sword and kill me. I don't want to let anyone know that a woman killed me. So the young man ran him through with a sword and he died. But when Abimelech men saw that he was dead, they disbanded and returned to their homes. Even in his death, he was so consumed with pride. Don't let them know a woman did it. Verse 56, in this way, God punished Abimelech for the evil he had done against his father by murdering his 70 brothers. And God also punished the men of Shechem for all their evil. So the curse of Jotham, son of Gideon, was fulfilled. What is the thing that guides you? Because if it's not God guiding you, you will either end, you're going to end up in two places. 
consumed by the fire of God, that is the good thing, or consumed by the fire of the reap of what you've sowed into the wrong thing. What I find interesting is that last, so the curse of Jotham was fulfilled. When we always talk about curses in the Bible, it's always usually a bad thing. But this time, Jotham was speaking on behalf of God and cursed in a good way. He says, if you don't turn to God, all your stuff's going to fall. Everything that you've worked for is going to crumble. Your strategies are going to fall apart. And you're going to end up, burn up, and without nothing. At men's group Thursday night, there's a one of our family here. His name's Tosh. Atosh, whatever his name is. He was telling a story about he was with this, this girl and this guy, and the girl's a new believer, and the guy was saying good stuff, but he could tell the guy was demon-possessed. And uh, he said he was just standing there, and what he meant by demon-possessed, you know, we always think demon-possessed means there's a shadow that's going to come out of you, and you're going to do all that stuff, and I don't know what that was, <laughs> and scream and spit green vomit. Sometimes the demon is just someone who's speaking the wrong things. And y'all know y'all know some demons. Speaking in some people. It's not the person. It's what's guiding the mind of the person. So he started hearing this evil spirit speaking in this man. And this girl was in agreement because it all sounded good. So Tosh said, so I decided to curse the thing. I said, well, what do you mean by you curse the thing? And it was, it was simply this. In the name of Jesus, come out and get out of here. You will no longer have influence in this situation. You know what happened? It left. And I think that sometimes we need to remember that just as we have the power to bless things, we have the power in us by the anointing of God to curse the, to curse the things that don't need to be in our lives. And some of you need to go home today and look at the things that are in your temple that God has not placed there and say, in the name of Jesus, you'd be burned up by the fire of God and get out. Get out of my child. Get out of my finances. Get out of my relationship. Get out of my web browser. Get out of my radio. Get out of my passions. Get out of my desires. Sometimes you got to curse the thing. If it, if it is not something that is productive for God in the name of Jesus, get out. Let the thing that guides you be one thing. God, not your flesh, not your morals, not your Let everything be of him. Be caught up in that consuming fire. Let that be the thing that guides you. And I believe that we're walking into a day where the church is going to rise up and people are going to not see you by the box you check on the census or on a job application but they're going to see an influence and a power working in you that is actually real. And they're going to ask, where's the favor? How are you increasing? How are you doing so well in the worst year of America? 
how are you prospering when all the other thorn bushes and shades are dying? How are you growing? How is your tree flowing? Let me say one thing. I'm not guided by the same thing as you. I've cursed that thing. And I'm coming alive in Jesus. Amen. 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 Can we give God praise today as we stand? Come on.